0: Welcome back to That's Got to Be Wrestling, the Wrestling Review Podcast. Today we are discussing AEW's All Out 2020, which took place September fifth, 2020, at Daly's Place in Jacksonville, Florida, with an attendance of 700 to 750 people, uh, depending on Wikipedia. What Wikipedia actually says, they were all masked and they were all socially distanced. I am Tommy, your co-host. With me as always is Olivia. Yes, and we are here, as I said, discussing All Out 2020. And this is, Olivia, our 37th review, which That's means wow. we officially have more reviews than there are at WrestleMania's. It's pretty
1: cool.
0: And 37 is the number of dicks that Dante's girlfriend sucked in clicks. So. 37.
1: 37.
0: It's a big, big number. Yeah. So anyway, how you are know, you?
1: Th- mind the year <laughs> milestone that we're closely approaching. 37 is going to be the number. 37
0: is a big number in my life. Okay. So as I said, we're discussing All Out 2020. And we are, of course, as always, going to get into some news. So Olivia, let's yeah, hit with it. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So we got one piece of AEW news today. So uh, it was announced this last week that Brandy and Cody Rhodes landed their own reality TV show. Um it was announced that the Roads would be duo would be starring in their own reality TV series titled Roads to the Top, which <laughs> didn't ground... take them
0: long to think of that name.
1: No kidding. I feel like that's like the first one they came up with and they were like, Ah, that's good, let's go with that. Um and the premiere date has yet to be announced, however the show is currently in the works.
0: You know, if if they get divorced or anything they can call it Rocky Roads. <laughs>
1: Fair. I like that. And that's
0: my thoughts on that. Awesome. I mean, fuck dude, like I like Cody Rhodes and Brandy as a person as people. Um, I think that the company that they created, um, from not being huge stars in WWE is pretty impressive. Of course they had some help with that. But I mean, listen, I'll sit there and watch Total Divas, but I make fun of the entire thing because it is so garbage. Yeah. That, like, none of it is really true or makes any sense. And especially if you're, not a, if you're not a wrestling fan, you look at that show and be like, oh, my God, this is totally cool what they do. But if you're a wrestling fan like us, you're like, that's not how that happens. They're just literally intercutting
1: exactly. moments that
0: have nothing to do with each other. And I for feel sure. like that's what this is going to be as well.
1: And I think, well, I think that they're trying to go for, like, a Miz and Mrs. Uh, type of show. And i got to be honest with you. Nobody is funnier than that duo. I
0: mean, you have to have the charisma to be the Miz and Maurice and uh, they aren't.
1: Yeah. Like, so, um, I can't think of two more boring people to make a reality show out of. I gotta tell you that I think the pimples on my ass are uh, more charismatic than those two.
0: (laughs) Maybe if it was, like, a reality show with, say, like, QT Marshall and Brandon Cutler might be more boring, but (laughs) I don't know, so... Not too excited No, about this.
1: Would not be tuning in. But anyways, uh, on to our opening questions. So, I have to preface, while we don't normally want to include discussions of WWE in our AEW shows, uh, we have to discuss the developing news with WWE content on Peacock. So, for those that don't know, this last uh, week, <laughs> this last week, Peacock announced that there will not be the full content library that the network had, but also that it will be removing explicit or offensive material from this content that they're going to be having on their platform. So, Tommy, I got to ask, with this pr- approach that Peacock is taking, why do you think that they are choosing to remove this content? And what do you think that the future holds for WWE's archived content?
0: This is garbage. Absolutely garbage. And here's the reason why. Because if you can't get all the content on there, then what was the point of buying the WWE Network? That just makes no sense to me because, yes, it's fantastic to watch live pay-per-views on there. I'd say that is the tied for the biggest reason people had it. But the biggest reason people had it was also to go back and watch the pay-per-views or the raws or the nitros or the ecws from past from the 80s from the 90s from the 2000s that we all wanted to relive and you can't really do until the network became a thing and if you're not going to include all that on there then why why even buy why even have a standalone thing maybe say hey you can watch all the new content and the current pay-per-views on peacock and you can still have your old stuff on the wwe network while that's annoying and i'd have to pay more money to have both That would have been fine. But you need to keep that old content on there. And speaking of the content being censored or just completely removed, this is a terrible idea. Now, I understand the stuff that they've already said they've removed makes, I get that I know it's offensive, I totally agree that it's offensive, and it doesn't have a place in today's society, such as Roddy Piper being in blackface, or Vince McMahon saying the N-word in Survivor Series 2005. But... What worries me is they're already saying that some peacock interns essentially are going through, I think they said like 70,000 hours of WWE, WCW, ECW stuff and removing content that might be offensive. Now, the problem becomes what is offensive to one person is not always offensive to another, or and vice versa. Yes, racial stereotypes, homosexuality, sexism, they're all fucking terrible. But what happens when they keep in Vince McMahon pinning God at Backlash 2006? Where's the stop? Where's the line of who that offends and who it doesn't offend? Now, Disney, who is well-known for incredible racism, instead of removing things from their movie... Now, they, they removed, like, an ass-crack from the movie Splash. Totally fine. It's just an ass-crack. Like, if you're getting excited over that, you've got deeper problems. But Disney decided, instead, we're going to put this little blurb at the beginning of the first 20 seconds of every movie, and I'm going to read that real quick. This program includes negative depictions and or mistreatment of people or cultures. These stereotypes were wrong then and are wrong now. Rather than remove this content, that's the important one, we want to acknowledge its harmful impact, learn from it, and spark conversation to create a more inclusive future together. Disney is committed to creating stories with inspirational and aspirational themes, that reflect the rich diversity of the human experience around the globe to learn more, blah, blah, blah. And then it says your video will start in how many seconds? How hard would that be to put there?
1: Right. And also, it would save all of those interns those hundreds of thousands of hours of going through all that footage. But then also, too, you have to consider that when you look at particularly, like say, like other streaming services, for example. You just gave the Disney example, but the example that I'm thinking of in the way that you shouldn't do it is a lot of people have really heavy criticism of uh, say like YouTube content and their ever-changing guidelines. And I don't wanna get super political about it, but there are times where they will um, demonetize or block or remove content that they deem um, offensive or violating their guidelines. However, they will keep other content on there that many people were, re, will report and find offensive and will say that this content is very harmful, but will choose to not remove it because they, even if it does technically violate their guidelines, um, they just don't want to remove it for whatever reason. And also to the fact, like I said before, that their guidelines are ever-changing. So there's a lot of like content on YouTube that used to be allowed that... um has really ruined like some creators like whole platforms because all of their content has been deemed like offensive or um, explicit or what have you. Mostly the explicit part, that's kind of the one part that I'm like really concerned about because while yes there is like a lot of really controversial and offensive content that WWE has put out before, I think we need to really draw the line when it comes to removing explicit content Um, because while some people may find like certain language offensive um, or certain nudity offensive, uh, you have to consider that this content is not created for all viewership. And I think that it's really sort of elementary to think that little, little children are going to be able to like watch all of this content. And I think that this sort of falls into the category of just letting the internet not only entertain, but like raise your children. And I think it's all too common today to stick an iPad in your kid's hands and to just let them have just sort of this free reign on any sort of streaming platform, internet, what have you. And this is coming from somebody who, I'm a very elder Gen Z person and I had total full free reign on the internet. However, my parents were very careful to really give me this sort of critical lens in which to look at this all of this content and sort of contextualize what's okay what's not okay and so I think that it's really silly that like yeah I understand like maybe removing some of the I guess a very offensive content that would you know depict um, certain races or cultures in a very poor light I think that it we really start to get into some dangerous territory when we talk about explicitness because a lot of that belief in what's, you know, offensive and what's not offensive when it comes to explicitness is really rooted in sort of any sort of religious ideology. And that's some, that's a really fine line to walk. So I don't know, Tommy, we've had a lot of discussions about like what we're going to do about being able to access, um, not even just like. The content that, like, obviously they're very heavily editing, um, but then also all that content that they're just not uploading onto their platform for whatever reason. Mm-hmm.
0: This was one of the biggest mis... I mean, it's already a misfire. It's been on there for, what, three weeks, and it's just already terrible. It's the hu- a complete the hub failure. horrible. The finding anything is terrible. And all this news is just pissing people off to the point where people who signed up for the Peacock to get the network are just going to go in and cancel it because we're all smart enough to know how a VPN works. Exactly. And what's Peacock going to do then? Be like, oh, all these millions of people we were going to bring in. No, because you have just immediately went and pissed off your entire ruined family. ruined it. And seeing, like, I grew up in the Attitude Era, which, granted, probably shouldn't have watched a lot of that. However, I realized some of that stuff... I realize most of that stuff does not hold up by 2021 standards. And that's okay. Because if you put that disclaimer, I read, or, you know, write a new one, obviously, but something similar in front of these things that happened then, then you say, hey, this was not okay at the time. We realized that. However, let's learn from this. Let's not do this anymore, which they already don't do. And I am under the fear that like the raws that are going to appear or the pay-per-views that are going to uh, put the raws mostly that are going to appear on the Peacock now are going to be like three minutes long and that's not an exaggeration. Oh no. They can can cut out Valvinus getting his dick chopped off, May Young giving birth to a hand, uh Triple H fucking a corpse in a in a uh funeral home. Uh May Young's uh you know boob slipping out at the Royal Rumble. Granted it is already censored on there, but like, why not get rid of the whole thing? Um Tristratus barking like a dog. And I realize again, all these things are terrible But learn from that. Watch it and be like, ah, that's not good anymore. Let's never do that again. Which we don't. And if you, what's the saying? Those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Yeah. That's what's. That's exactly what's gonna happen. If you erase all these things, it's gonna pretend like it never happened. Nazi Germany. Do we just pretend that didn't happen? (laughs) I mean, I know it's a huge example. It's a slavery, civil rights movement, the women's suffrage. Like, I know it's just wrestling and it's a silly entertainment thing, but. Historical context has to be a part of our conversations moving forward, or else we're just never going to move forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I think this is a really important lesson just because um, you really start to think about the way in which um, not only like media is created, but then also it makes you, I mean, you had like sort of some drastic but sort of perfect examples because. Um, If you start to sort of disinclude certain narratives from, you know, per se, like history books, for example, um, we already have like a very warped view of, say, like the civil rights movement, for example, because a lot of these history books choose to really sort of like whitewash it and to sort of disinclude a lot of narratives and a lot of stories and a lot of people um, that could change the contextualization of the ways in which the civil rights movement actually played out. Um, for example, one of those things that a lot of people don't talk about, um, like the Tuskegee, like syphilis studies, for example, that's not something that I learned until I was a junior in college, Um, also like Tulsa Race War, for example, Um, and I think that when you choose to disinclude certain narratives from, say, like history books or, um, you know, certain outlets of media, then it really changes your perception of really like what actually happened in history but then also kind of remo- removes you from being able to look at these forms of media with a critical lens and I think the reason why I can appreciate WWE for what it is today is because I know it used to be garbage is because I know that they used to treat women so poorly. And so now when they do put women on, you know, an elevated platform and choose to take the women's division seriously, or to, you know, finally give their black performers championships that they absolutely deserve. If you didn't have the context of how awful WWE used to be, how are you going to be able to appreciate all of these things that they represent now. And like I said in our Crispin Watt episode, I think it's really, really stupid to try to put particularly WWE on any sort of like moral high ground because that's never what they've been about. So like now to try and go back and to edit all of that and sort of change the contextualization of the way in which wrestling history has played out is really, I don't want to say it's dangerous because like obviously it's just a form of entertainment, Um, but I think that now if we have future generations who have only been able to access wrestling content from Peacock moving forward, you're going to see a really, really interesting new crop of wrestling fans, if that were to ever occur, because as we know, you know, (laughs) with the past like 20 or 30 years, um, wrestling, the average wrestling fan age um, has increased, so that means that they are not bringing in a lot of new viewership, and also the, the majority of them, I would say more than 80%, I want to say more like 85% of those are men, so, um, you know, this is really, sucks for WWE, because I feel like moving forward, um, a lot of their core fan base that keeps them afloat and keeps them alive are really going to really abandon the idea of wanting to watch their content. So, I mean, you know, this is a company who has outlasted um, everyone, you know, re- everyone um, recessions, um, you know, really sort of era changes. And I really don't see their life lasting more than a good 10 years if this continues.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. And speaking of outlasting everyone, we did just hit the 20 year anniversary of WWE taking out their biggest competition, which was WCW, which is amazing. But now, moving on, I think WWE's new biggest competition, AEW, because I'm the king of transitions here, might be outlasting WWE down the line. So we'll see. So
1: we might see the demise of WWE, who knows?
0: I know, which would be insane since they've been in my entire life, essentially. So of course some grim news. Uh, I do have the death count on this episode as well. Um, something again like I said I didn't think we'd be getting to, till we get to the eighties. But of course Mr. Brodie Lee is our one and only on that. Uh we go to the buy-in where I we get two matches. Joey Janella, who is with Sunny Kiss, defeating Serpentico with Luther. Watch that. That was fine. And then we have uh, Private Party defeating members of the Dark Order, um, I believe it was John Silver and Alex Reynolds, so also a fine match. Moving on to our main card. Um, it starts right away with the tooth and nail match. Big Swole taking on Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, and this was a cinematic match that takes place in a dentist office. So Big Swole pulls up, enters the dentist's office, uh, she attacks Rebel right off the bat because Rebel is a uh, receptionist, uh, or Reba as Britt Baker was calling her. Uh, we get... Sort of like a horror movie moment as Big Swole is kind of walking around the dentist's office. She opens up like a mirror and there's some chattering teeth, like what the Joker used to used to use. And then uh, Dr. Britt Baker takes her diploma and smashes it over her head. And thus we get our little brawl throughout the entire dentist office. Uh, they head to the outside of the office. Both Britt and Rebel double-team Swole, causing Swole to toss Rebel into a trash can. Britt then super kicks Swole into the dental chair and attempts to literally murder her with a drill. So that was fun. Uh, Britt Baker then takes out a syringe and she is going to stake or stake stab. Big Swole with it. It's supposed to be Novocaine. But Big Swole counters and stabs her with it and then places Britt Baker on a chair, putting a Novocaine mask onto her, causing JR to say, I love that stuff. I don't know if you heard that, but that got a good giggle out of me. And wins by KOing Britt Baker. So Big Swole wins this very strange cinematic match. But Olivia, what do you think?
1: This was a weird one. So I want to come up with like a new name for these matches because AEW's take on cinematic matches is so different from uh, WWE's cinematic matches. And so I'm... Honestly, I'm gonna have to come up with a different name for these because it does still have that very live feel to it. It doesn't feel as disjointed as the way that cinematic matches do in WWE. Um, But I gotta say, while these women are great wrestlers, they are terrible actresses. This whole dialogue that they were having the entire time was cornier than squirrel poop. Okay? So.
0: Do squirrels eat corn? (laughs)
1: <laughs> i think so um, at least country squirrels
0: country squirrels
1: <laughs> so uh, this one was okay it was uh, honestly like pretty short so i don't have a ton of notes on this but uh i thought that the ending of it was a little um creative a little inventive with um brit baker being put out under the i believe it was like some sort of anesthesia mask or something laughing gas laughing gas yeah um, but it was just kinda weird that like immediately after, you know, uh Big Swole got the win, Britt just like jumps out of the chair. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, you kinda like ruined the whole like
0: knocking you out with the guy going. Go
1: uh so I gave this a two out of five because it was just a very average cinematic match. But uh I do have to say, bonus points for location creativity. You know, as somebody who started watching AW once they um you know, started and kind of founded Britt Baker was definitely one of their first stars, I would say, and I always thought that, like the including, I mean, it's like really cool that she's also a dentist, and uh I think that it's really inventive that they've been able to like keep up her whole like persona of also like I'm a wrestler, but I'm also a dentist, so that's that's fun, right?
0: Yeah. Do you know she's only the only person to appear on WWE TV while being signed with AEW?
1: I do know that. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, because she's dating Adam Cole, if no yeah. one knows. Um, I know you know, but our whole, like, seven listeners might not know. So, uh, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, I gave it a two out of five as well. This was just, I mean, there was nothing but punches and kicks and, like, one neck breaker on the floor. Yeah. So, I mean, it was whatever. I did get a good kick out of, uh, Britt Baker constantly yelling Reba, which, if you don't know the story behind that, Rebel is her lackey, essentially, whose name is Rebel, but Britt Baker cares so little about her that she keeps calling her Reba. That's why she goes by Rebel, not Reba. So, that was pretty much, like, the highlight of it. Um, the syringe in the leg kind of freaked me out. I know that it was empty, but, I mean, still, it's a needle going in someone's leg, right, and that's gross. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, it was just whatever. This was not a great start to the pay-per-view.
1: No, I just also, I thought it was just a little strange that they decided to start the show with this one. Normally, I would think that, like, not that women's matches are bathroom break matches. I'm That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that usually you start out the show with like a real banger in the ring to get like the crowd excited the very few people that were in the crowd at this point you know but you still want to get them hyped up get them excited and then like maybe it's like the third match into the show or like the match that occurs like right before um the the main event so that the crowd has some sort of time to just like chill and relax and like you know collect their thoughts and get excited again for then like the next match that's gonna happen like right in front of them i thought it was a little strange to choose to start out the show with this but you know what i'm not the one running the show so
0: yep that would be old tony Khan. yeah yep who i drunkenly asked to give me a job once (laughs) anyway moving on to our second match we have jurassic express luchasaurus and jungle boy with marco stunt taking on matt and nick jackson of the young bucks this whole thing came about because we've got some tag team standings The Young Bucks at this time were taking a little more of an aggressive attitude because they did this tournament. The winner would face the uh, tag champions later in the show. Young Bucks ended up getting, they were the first seed, ended up getting eliminated by the eighth seed private party in the first match. And so they've been a little more aggressive. And now they want to beat up on Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus and Marco Stunt. And they do end up super kicking Marco Stunt literally about 50 feet across the way. So that was pretty fun. But Olivia, before we get started... These are your two favorite tag teams in AEW, right? So that was pretty exciting. That yeah, it too. is, yeah. So, uh, super excited to see this one?
1: Um, yes, but I will I will save my thoughts for after. Okay. Why I, I feel very contradictory uh, after watching this match.
0: Okay, well, let me just get started by the play-by-play play then. So Jurassic, Jurassic Express get the better of the Young Bucks early, topped off with a beautiful tail whip into a flatliner combo from the Jungle, jungle Express, Jurassic <laughs> Express, sorry. Uh, we get a triple northern light suplex which turns ugly as matt attempts to suplex jungle boy over the top rope but they get caught in the ropes and i don't know which one of them got the worst of it but they both like go neck first on the ropes and then matt tries to like flip himself over but instead he's like i can't do it so jungle boy just hits the ground uh jungle boy gets cut off from his partner for many minutes he attempts a hot tag but right as he's about to tag luchasaurus nick catches him with a super kick at the last minute luchasaurus finally gets the hot tag after many more minutes he's a house of fire hitting tail whips chokeslams and a standing moonsault on the brothers luchasaurus then launches his smaller opponent into nick who counters it into a power bomb and destroys luchasaurus i meant to say tag partner not opponent i don't know why i said that uh then at this point i already mentioned this matt absolutely murders michael Stunt with a super kick which was fantastic to see not because i don't like michael Stunt, but he's wearing those stupid sun hats and i can't stand those and that got kicked right off his head and i was very happy Jurassic Express then break up a Meltzer driver and hit the extinction level event but only get the two count. Luchasaurus then leaps over the ropes at the Young Bucks but he misses. He goes right into the crowd and takes out a bunch of the wrestlers that are part of the crowd. While Luchasaurus is down on the outside the Young Bucks hit Jungle Boy with a few super kicks and a BTE trigger to finish him off for the win. So apparently you have some Contradictory feelings here, so yeah. what do you think? So,
1: first of all, I just want to say that I thought this match was an absolute banger. This was so exciting. I thought that, you know, like you said, um the young bucks were taking a more aggressive approach. I think that they definitely conveyed that in this match. Uh, especially, like, first of all, like kick in the head, clean off Marco Stump, but then also, like, poor Jogo Boy just really got the worst of it in this match. Like, he got his ass kicked all around that ring. But the thing that pissed me off the most about this match, especially being the fact that it was technically the first, like, besides the buy-in, obviously, this was, like, the first, like, in-ring match on the main card. That crowd was so dead. I mean, it's
0: only 700 people.
1: Well, I mean, I know that, but, like, they just, like, could not care less about this match. And, like, these are, like, two of, like, the best tag teams, not only in AEW, but I feel like, in sort of U.S. circuit wrestling at the moment. So, like, what the fuck? Like, where were they at? Like, I don't know. Like, I I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I thought it was super annoying that Marco kept slapping, like, the side of the ring to try to get people excited. But then, like, halfway through the match, I'm like, oh, I get why he's doing that because nobody's cheering and nobody's clapping and nobody's giving a fuck. And this is, like, a great match that's happening right in front of them. Like, why aren't they paying attention and why aren't they excited? So that's why I feel some some type of way about this match. So I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. This match is weird because I thought it was a really solid match, but the crowd didn't seem to care all that much. So I guess it probably wasn't that great since they didn't think it was great.
0: I think that was a problem going throughout the whole show. I didn't hear a lot oh, of crowd sure. interaction. I'm starting to think now since I said 700 to 750 people, maybe they let in 700 fans and the other 50 are like the wrestlers that yeah. they put in the very front something i noticed right now um this match was okay i was actually kind of thought it was just good like not great like i expected from them uh the young bucks seemed really off in it and i don't know what it was they didn't seem to be their normal selves and i've noticed as the weeks go by we get less and less super kicks from them so that's a little strange i really liked uh jungle boy's energy in it but i don't know the like aside from jungle boy everyone just seemed kind of off and i'm not sure why that was, so I gave it a 3 out of 5. I mean, the energy no- t- near the end was great. Uh, watching Luchasaurus completely clear the ropes and then, com- uh, like, clear the barricade and take out, like, 10 people was fantastic. Because yeah. he's, like, 6'5", 270, and that's big.
1: Yeah, he's um, a big dude. But, yeah,
0: I gave it a 3 out of 5. It was an okay match. All right. All right, so moving on to our Casino Battle royal match, which we've covered, I think, pretty much every fucking episode we've done a Casino Battle royal. Uh, the winner of this match, however, gets a number one contender shot at either John Moxley or MJF, whoever wins the world title later in the night, you get a title shot against them. So, as usual, it starts off with five people, and then every two minutes, another group enters, and another group of five, so on and so forth, and then the last entrant is called the Joker, because it's like, oh, casinos, you know, suits of cards. Um, But, however, did you notice that normally they go like, here's the diamonds, here's the hearts, here's the spades? They didn't do that here. So I have no idea what they is what. They
1: didn't, and I do have to preface before you get into the play-by-play that, like, they did that thing again where they, like, have, like, a little runner, a little runner banner at the bottom where it says not only, like, who's all coming in in the first round, but then, like, what group they're a part of. And then immediately by the second round of people, they just totally abandon not only telling you who is in this match, but then also, like, what group they're a part of, so you've got your diamonds, your spades, your hearts, you know, like, whatever, um, and Plus, they just- that's
0: the one we keep missing.
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, they could just completely abandon that after, and it's like, and it's not like the commentary is helpful at all, and, I mean, of course, they're like, oh, this person's coming out, then this person's coming out, but then they, then they just, like I said, abandon the idea of, like, telling you what group they're a part of, so- our apologies for not knowing, but... Yeah. Uh,
0: I feel like the commentary team, which is, as usual, uh, Tony Schiavone, Jim Ross, who are legends, and then Excalibur, who is, I think, an okay announcer, but he, he kind of gets caught up in the other two. He, gets, and J, 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 he JR's, likes
1: direction. Yeah,
0: JR's in a, like, I'm old, I don't give a shit mood anymore, which is fine. He's earned that. He can do whatever he wants in my book. Tony Schiavone, though, is the more of the, like straight laced one who i'm used to being like all right let's call the action yeah, he's the right supposed way. to
1: be like the michael cole of the group right, right? but like with and, more charisma yeah and i just <laughs> there's some sort of like geriatric aloofness that's going on on the commentary table and i'm like guys can we just like get it together well
0: to make things worse these three are joined by taz
1: I did forget that. Just I do complain about this in my notes. infuriates me. <laughs>
0: However, I did love... We'll get to his entrance in a little bit. But when Sean Spears comes out, did you hear what he said to the announcers? <laughs> no. He gets on a headset and he goes, we've got three Hall of Famers at the table and Excalibur. And that got a good giggle out of me because like, <laughs> he's not wrong. Three yeah. Hall of Famers and then Excalibur. Anyway, so our first uh, group of wrestlers is Trent Barretta, Fallen Angel Christopher Daniels, Jake Hager, The Blade, or as you typed, The Bald. The Bald. And Ray Phoenix... <laughs> Uh, they, of course, wrestle around for a few minutes until the second group comes out, which is Frankie Kazarian, Will Hobbs, Chucky e. T, Santana, and Ortiz. A few people get eliminated. Christopher Daniels is, like, the first, which was yeah. surprising. Uh, the Blade goes out. I'm pretty sure Chuck Taylor got eliminated, but then he was back in the ring later.
1: Thank you! I noticed that. I was so confused. Yeah, because
0: I was like, he went over the top ropes, didn't he? But instead, no, he was I'm in the match a later.
1: I heard them even say that he was eliminated, because I typed it out, and then later he was back in the ring, and I was like... I think I
0: was wrong about that yeah keep in mind with the uh the second and third and fourth entrances you'll hear like it's supposed to be one group and they're supposed to run down together like they've done it and past, then they do but they get their own separate entrances which is hilarious so on the third group Billy Gunn gets in the ring um and then Penta El Zero Miedo gets in the ring and then uh Ricky Starks gets in the ring and Brian Cage gets in the ring that's four people and Billy Gunn gets deadlifted by Brian Cage. Billy Gunn is 6'5 and like 260. He's not small. Yeah. Brian Cage just throws him over the ropes before the fifth member of this group, Darby Allen, even gets to the ring. So that was kind of strange. Uh Darby then kicks a mask with his skateboard and he eliminates Ray Phoenix, which was another one I was surprised to get eliminated so early. Our final group is Sean Spears, Eddie Kingston, The Butcher, Sonny Kiss, and Lance Archer. Sonny eliminates Jake Hager, then Cage throws out Sonny Kiss. Trent gets rid of Santana and Archer, and then he gets eliminated as well as Ortiz. Chucky T gets eliminated somewhere else in this area as well, but again, (laughs) okay. Um, Matt Seidel is the Joker, and I forgot that this was like Matt Seidel's big AEW uh, first appearance. We've talked about him a few times since then, but this is his first appearance in AEW, of course, the former Evan Bourne. He immediately goes to the top ropes to hit a shooting star press, does not rotate, and... If he would have rotated anymore, he would have probably died because he looked like he was about to land on his neck. Um, so he fucked up his very first appearance, appearance yes. in AEW. Luckily, he was fine, and he starts to wrestle a little more. And at this point, there's you can hear these explosions going off. JR says, oh, there's a baseball stadium right across the street, and they must have won. So that's why the fireworks are going off. And I'm like, Is that, you could have just not said it, and probably people wouldn't have noticed. But once you mention that... On television i'm like oh yeah okay that's kind of strange uh darby's body bag gets brought in and cage fills it with thumbtacks throws darby allen into it and then throws him over the rope zipped up in a body bag i'm not sure what body part he landed on but that could not have felt good and i don't know why this kid keeps trying to kill himself so excellent uh the big men go at it for a while as archer destroys will hobbs with a spear and then has a fist fight with cage leading to archer eliminating both hobbs and brian cage our final four and I know I've mentioned I haven't said all the people getting eliminated it's just bedlam here uh the final four are Eddie Kingston Matt Sydal Lance Archer and the Butcher and Lance Archer ends up winning an overbooked finish by eliminating Eddie Kingston last and by overbooked finish I mean there's a spot where the Butcher and is like keeps grabbing Lance Archer's leg for some reason like four or five times and Jake Roberts keeps trying to show his snake, not his penis, his actual snake that he has in a bag to Eddie Kingston who's apparently scared of snakes and this goes on for like 45 seconds and I know you're thinking like that's not a long time but when it's like it literally looks like it's on a loop like a time loop and it just keeps like I'm grabbing your leg look at my snake I'm grabbing your leg look at my snake oh thank god someone finally fucking got eliminated but anyway Lance Archer wins to get a world title shot down the line so Olivia what do you think?
1: This was a hot mess. Like a whore in church hot mess. Okay. (laughs) Well, you don't have to
0: call
1: me out like that. So, like I said, I've already complained about the production issues that have plagued this match. And here's the thing. I love, I mean, I love the creativity of the Casino Royale. Do we always need one? Like, almost every pay-per-view? No, we don't. Also, the fact that, like, towards the end, this just becomes a tangled mess the ending was overbooked, and I think it was after, like, the third round of people, like, came in, I was like, there are just way too many people that are in the ring right now. Yeah. Like, they're they none of them can literally do anything because there's way too many people in the ring. The only part about this match that I was like, holy shit, that's awesome, wow, uh, was when Darby Allen got yeeted out of the ring in the <laughs> body bag full of thumbtacks. Like, that was the most impressive part about this whole match. So, yet again... Here comes Darby having to like almost kill himself He's to like, like save, save the match. whole yeah to save the whole match his poor little soul oh my god <laughs> um so and Taz was super insufferable on commentary as always so uh yeah I gave this one honestly now looking back at it this is pretty generous I wish I would have given it a, a lower rating
0: you can always change your rating
1: perfect okay
0: I do that Um, (laughs) constantly. I don't know if you always see me scribbling, but I'm always like, you know what? I'm going to change this.
1: So, originally I gave it a 2.5 out of 5 because I was feeling generous, but I'm going to lower this to a 1.5 out of 5 because other than the couple of wild stunts that happened, this match was very confused, crowded, and unorganized.
0: Okay. Well, I gave it a 2.5 out of 5. Um, It's hard to remember all the casino battle royals, but I think it's like the worst one. And like battle royals are always kind of fun. Like, oh, people just get thrown over the ropes, but... They're always a mess, even Royal Rumbles. So I just was like, "This was fine. Um, some cool moments. Matt Sydal almost killed himself literally. Yeah. So Darby <laughs> Allen, I'm sure did. Um, he must be a cat. So
1: exactly. I just, I just think to myself like when the ring is super crowded like that in like in this case a Royale match or like Royal Royals and things of that nature. Just call
0: it a Rebel Royal.
1: Or, yeah, Royal Royal. <laughs> um. I just think to myself, like, the, I can't even watch anything that's happening because A, there's like really nothing that's happening in the ring, but then also simultaneously there's like too much happening in the ring, if that makes sense.
0: No, it does. It absolutely does. <laughs> so I am painstakingly trained to like watch Royal Rumbles like with a Hawkeye, but yeah, other Battle Royals, I'm just like, I don't care. It's not important who gets eliminated in a certain order in a regular Battle Royal. Like it is in a Royal Rumble. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. moving on to our fourth match, the Broken Rules match between Broken Matt Hardy taking on the Spanish Fly Sammy Guevara. Of course, this has been an ongoing feud with the Inner Circle, the Elite, and Matt Hardy. So that's why we get this match, for a lack of better term. So it starts. Matt Hardy is at TIA Field, um, which is where the Jaguars play. Little did we know it's actually connected to Daly's place. So we found that out on this pay per view. Uh, Sammy then chases Hardy down with a golf cart and that is the highlight of this match. And let me tell you why, because they start to do some punches, which of course you're going to see in this. Oh, by the way, a broken rules match is just that last man standing match. Okay. So, um, they're doing some punches and kicks. They get onto this scissor lift and they are about to, they both go back first off of it. Now, what happens is the scissor lift goes up. I'd say what, 10 feet, keep or take and they go through a table. Now, Sammy Guevara goes completely through the table, which is totally fine. Matt Hardy's hips and legs go through the te- table, but his shoulders and back and head hit the concrete floor and Aubrey Edwards just runs to his side right away. He's out. This isn't a joke. This isn't like, oh, he's knocked out because he, he's, he's knocked the fuck out. And she's like calling for a trainer. A trainer comes, Sammy Guevara's like, oh, get tell him to get up. And then she starts a count. And this is where I start to think, Matt Hardy said in her ear in a daze, in a concussed daze, because he did get a concussion, oh, I can keep going. And instead of being the authority like she needs to be, she was just like, okay, instead of saying, hey, we need to call this match. So, and I know that older wrestlers especially will be like, I can continue because that's just the toughness they need to prove. He was irresponsible. She was irresponsible. Everyone was irresponsible here. Everyone involved. So the match does continue for some reason. They continue to punch each other. They get into Daly's place, they climb a scaffold, Matt Hardy just somehow tosses Sammy Guevara 10 feet off of it into some cardboard, and he doesn't answer the count, and Matt Hardy wins. Uh, I mean, I'm just going to say it now. This match should have ended after Matt Hardy knocked himself out, and I'm going to give it a 0 out of 5, because there's no reason for it to continue. And I wouldn't have given it a 0 out of 5 if they would have just stopped it there and i have been like, you know what, let's not grade it. But since they continued and we had a winner, I wonder what your thoughts are.
1: Um, well, I do have to say, I do agree with your zero out of five, but I also, just in my final rating, I just put a bunch of question marks, because I didn't <laughs> even know whether it was even appropriate to, to rate this match or not, because it was like, all in all, it was like kind of a wash, and uh, not only... Did it not make either of them look really good, but didn't make Aubrey look really good. It didn't make any of, the, like, the trainers or the doctors look really good because they just, like, allowed it to continue. And apparently there was some sort of miscommunication going on between, like, the backstage production and then also, like, the commentary table. Because then all everybody on the commentary table was just like, we don't know what's going on. And then we're also equally as shocked as the rest of us when the match decided to continue. Because keep in mind, they already rang the bell, yeah. not once. But, like, two different times, like, to signify that this match was over, and then it, for whatever reason, just continued. Uh, so, I don't even know if you can even say that, like, Matt Hardy even won this match, because they had already rung the bell. Oh, Wikipedia says Wikipedia. Matt Hardy won the match. Well, I know that, <laughs> and they, that's obviously what had resulted, you know, after they had, like, climbed the scaffolding, and then, you know, Sammy didn't answer the count. But, like, what? What? How was that even, like, I mean, I know it's like a last man standing match, so, like, it's kind of weird to, like, end it with just, like, that draw, but, like, the bell already rang.
0: Yeah, I don't know, this was completely stupid on everyone's part. And it should just not have. Like,
1: unless wrestlers explicitly say, like, restart the match, restart the match. And then a ref comes in and is like, we're restarting the match. Like, you didn't restart the match. Like, the match ended. And neither of you won. So, like...
0: It amazes me that when there's, like, a really bad injury um, like this, like, I want to compare it to Sid Vicious jumping off the top rope and, like, breaking his leg in numerous places. So much so that his leg, his top part of his leg was straight and the bottom part of his leg was off to, like, the right... And they're just like, let's continue the match and kick the shit out of him while he's in fucking shock because his leg is shattered. And it's just like, let's continue the match. Why? Why? And I'm, I'm pretty sure Matt Hardy's come off saying like that was his idea. Stupid idea. Um, there's a difference between the bumps that you used to take in the 90s where at least you're landing on something that's not giving you a concussion and knocking you out. But he went head first.
1: Well, also, yeah, and also you have to realize, like, it's much harder taking a bump at 40 than it is at 20. Yeah,
0: I'm pretty sure he's, like, 47. Yeah, So, exactly. he's almost 50. So. Uh, uh, you're not what you used to be, man. Neither is your brother. You guys both need to just be Weirdly like, enough,
1: I think, not to interrupt you, but, like, I just did. You can weirdly interrupt enough, me you want. Weirdly enough, I just, like, I think that a lot of times, like, when they, like, I mean, because this is not the first time that we've seen... This happened before. You you um point out the example of Sid Vicious, the one that I immediately think of is um two examples actually. So Nia Jax breaking Becky Lynch's face, and then they just continued that, which obviously like you know broken nose is a broken nose, but like you should have stopped all of that. But then also Brie Bella literally knocking out Liv Morgan, and they also continued that match. Like, why, why, why did we continue that? And so what I think is, is I think that they're so just used to their, the people that they employ being such professionals and just, I guess, like, sort of really underestimating like injuries that occur while they're wrestling Mm -hmm. that like they hardly ever have to have these sort of situations in which it just needs to stop. And so I feel like they're so... It's like almost like a school that didn't practice like the fire drills <laughs> enough and then so like not everybody gets out of the school and like people die in the school fire. Like that I just feel like they're just so out of sync with like knowing what to do if something bad happens in the ring or like something bad happens during a match. Like we we need some better preparedness here.
0: Yeah. On the on the flip side, I remember I think this was our 3rd episode when we did Worlds Collide 2020, the NXT NXT UK show. If you remember, Alexander Wolfe gets knocked out, like, really early. Yes. And, and Bobby Fish is like, I should, kick, I should not kick him again. And he stops, and Wolfe just gets escorted out, and then the match continues. That's a smart way of doing yes. it. And they did not do that here, so...
1: You a lot gonna... of learning to do AEW. Yeah,
0: exactly. So, uh, anyway, moving on to a much better match. Our AEW Women's World Title match, uh, Hikaru Shida, our Women's Champion, taking on Thunderosa, who is actually the NWA Women's Champion... Uh, she appeared on Dynamite, Thunder Rosa did, challenged Shida to a match, said, "Which we're going to find out who the better champion is. Of course, it's going to be Hikaru Shida to spoil the end of the match because AEW is not going to let their champion lose to another champion. So anyway, uh, both women start to one-up each other early, utilizing their respective countries' wrestling styles. And that's when I noticed, oh, this is cool. We're getting Japan versus Mexico, which is two of my personal favorite styles of wrestling because... Chris Jericho, who's one of my favorite wrestlers, learned both of these before he learned yes. anything else. So, well, I guess the Canadian way first, but his best stuff is in Japan and Mexico in his early career. Anyway, uh, both women head to the outside where Rosa just launches off a chair, knocking Sheeta into the barricade. And this is also where I started to notice that the barricade is not connected. So if anyone hits the barricade, it just fucking falls over, yeah. which I think was very funny and also probably pretty painful for anyone hitting it. Yeah. Because Kenny Omega hits it twice in his match later. Rosa uses her strength tossing Shida around the ring and locking in a pendulum swing and then pendulum swinging her right face first into the turnbuckle. Shida then fights back hitting a massive jumping knee. Rosa then crushes Shida with a Death Valley driver onto the ring apron which of course as we know thanks to Michael Cole is the hardest part of the ring. Uh, Both women then counter a bit more offense near the end leading to Shida hitting her lightning-like knee strike and gets the pin to retain her championship. So Olivia what do we think?
1: This match was awesome uh you know i for it's fun to like review these shows now uh like pretty much almost a year later and to see of course now we know that thunder rosa is a regular on aw uh, but it's really really cool to see both of these women just go at it head to head they absolutely tore the house down yeah. i think that thunder rosa looked really strong and is a really good precursor to what her, the rest of her career up until this day with AEW is going to look like. I mean, she and, put
0: on an early match of the year candidate just a week ago. so Right,
1: exactly. Uh, so I think that both of these women put on a super impressive show. I thought they looked really, really strong. This is clearly way better than the previous women's match that occurred on the show, which I have to say we got to celebrate, though, good or bad. We've got two women's matches on the card, so, like, I can't complain too much. Like, I'm pretty excited. And
0: neither of them were buy-in matches.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, um, I give this a 4 out of 5 because it is just absolute excellence. And when I watch matches like this, it just gets me so excited because I'm like, this is why I love women's wrestling. This is women's wrestling. (laughs)
0: Uh, I agree with you it being a 4 out of 5. This was a cracking match, um... the Mexican style versus the Japanese style meshed incredibly well here, and it was awesome to see uh, Thunder Rosa, of course, being one of the best from A and Hikaru Shida being one of the best from Joshi just really mixed well together, and Shida's still the women's champion. Thunder Rosa might be the new number one contender now. We'll see. So maybe we'll get a round two coming Hopefully. up pretty soon, which would be great, It'll but be I love this match. match. This was a fantastic match. Of course, the right person went over, and... I don't think Thunder Rosa was actually signed
1: to right, AEW yeah. at this point.
0: I think she became, as they call, all elite a little later on. For sure. And lost the the women's championship. Um, I also did notice when they were doing the hype package for this, that it, they'll show like they'll show Taz talking about it and then Jr. talking about it and Tony Schiavone and then they had the voice of Billy Corgan who is the president of NWA, and I mentioned to you Billy Corgan is the lead singer of the Smashing Pumpkins, so that's pretty cool because I totally forgot he was the president of that and. Smash Pumpkins are great, and he's a huge wrestling fan. Yeah. So anyway, Amazing. four out of five from me. We then shoot backstage. Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford are with Alex Marvez, and they say they're about to make an announcement. But before Kip can say anything, Penelope's like, "We're engaged, and we're gonna get married." And Kip's like, "Do you want to know who my best man is?" I don't know why I made him sound like that because he's British, but whatever. He's like, well, you're going to have to watch Dynamite to find out my best man. And then I go, oh, that's, oh, wait, I know who it is. Because we obviously have the hindsight of like, oh, yeah, it's Miro. So because I was like, who is, oh, I'm an idiot. I know exactly who his best man (laughs) is. So we get a little tease at Miro, which was kind of fun to see because I didn't know that that happened on this show. Moving on from Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford, we get our sixth match, The Dark Order. So Mr. Brody Lee, Colt Cabana, Evil Uno, and Stu Grayson, or Dick Grayson as JR called him later in the match, taking on Scorpio Sky, Matt Cardona, who is, of course, the former Zack Ryder, and the Natural Nightmares, which are Dustin Rhodes and QT Marshall. They're accompanied by Ali and Brandi Rhodes if we didn't have enough convoluted shit in this match. Uh, and this match came about because the Exalted One, Brody Lee, rest in peace, like I always have to say, um, won the TNT Championship from Cody Rhodes. He beat the ever-loving crap out of him, beat the crap out of Dustin, the uh, Anna Jay of the Dark Order beat the crap out of Brandy, and everyone's just beating the crap out of the Rhodes family, and du- uh, Cody got incredibly injured, so Dustin put this team together and said, we're going to take on the Dark Order, and do you know what I realized after watching this match, Olivia? What's that? This is the first, and I'm sure the only, AEW pay-per-view that Cody Rhodes is not a part of. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't have to make fun of his incredible, incredibly silly-ass entrance this one but anyway uh the dark order of course um accompanied by other members of the dark order so as they would be so a fight breaks out early uh we get basic eight-man tag team match everyone kind of gets their own spot early until the dark order then cut off qt marshall from his opponents matt cardona it's really card calling it really weird calling him matt cardona it really so it's is. like i'm so used to him being zack rider yeah uh, anyway cardona gets the hot tag he destroys grayson uh, with a back body drop. Card- Cardona then gets cut off for many, 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 many minutes, leading to the former Super Smash Brothers to hit some really great tag team offense. Evil Luno and Stu Grayson, babe, are, I think, so good as a tag team. Oh, for sure. And it's really kind of a bummer that people looked at the Dark Order as a joke before Brody Lee came in, because I thought they were really interesting, and I at least they've stopped the spooky perverts uh, chant, though, for them, so that's a plus. Uh, Dustin gets the next hot tag. He starts to slap everyone around with his patent gold dust offense. Ana Jay, who is known as 99 in the Dark Order, makes her presence known. Uh, as she gets in the ring, though, she just immediately eats a pump kick out of nowhere from Brandy Rhodes. So that was hilarious to see. Scorpio and Cardona hit a lot of offense on members of the Dark Order. And QT hits a massive tope suicida. Brody, who we have not talked about most of this match, he finally makes his presence known. Near the tail end he tosses qt into dustin's corner so the big man or so he can get the tag and brody and dustin can go at it and i think that's really awesome because normally you're like no i don't want to face the fresh guy but he's like fine go tag him we'll see what happens uh they start to beat the crap out of each other for a little bit uh cabana then or Brody lee hits the elbow on gold dust gold dust dustin Rhodes, <laughs> again so he used to call him gold dust his whole career and he tags in cole cabana and says you finish him off but cabana misses a top rope moonsault leading to Dustin to roll him up and Matt Cardona, Scorpio Sky and the Natural Nightmares take the win, and Brody Lee in his only two AEW pay-per-view matches goes 0-2, which is kind of a bummer. But Olivia, what did you think?
1: Um I really went mild for this match. I thought that the storytelling was pretty solid. Of course the wrestling was pretty excellent. But overall it was just like a very basic, like multi-man tag match. There's not really much more that I can say than that. Um, of course, like you know, the right team won. Uh, I agree with you that I think that the well, of course, in storyline, the the good the, the good, Wright, the good yeah. guys won. Exactly. We yeah. got
0: revenge for Cody.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is pretty corny, but of course, you know, what's pro wrestling without a little bit of corniness?
0: Uh, with Cody Rhodes being like, if I can't go over, at the actual pay per view, I'm gonna go over in all of your hearts.
1: Exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go over in your thoughts. Uh, he so, lives in
0: my head rent free,
1: doesn't he? he honestly, yeah, he does. <laughs> he really does. Uh, so I have to say, like, there's not much to say about this match. I, like I was getting ready to say, I do agree with you that I love the Dark Order, and I think that ever since uh, AEW introduced them as like a group, I always thought that they're like spooky, very vague sort of promos that are like join the Dark Order. We're always like very interesting. Definitely more so than the WWE counterpart, which I will not name. Um, so... Uh, who was the
0: WWE counterpart?
1: Um, oh, God, what is their name? Uh, Retribution.
0: Oh, God. Yeah, yeah they're broken up. We don't have to talk <laughs> about them anymore.
1: Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, this was pretty basic, so I gave this I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. Oh, wow,
0: that's higher than I thought you'd give it. I gave it a 3 out of 5. It was good. It was solid. Good wrestling here. Um, I wish the Dark Order would have won, just mostly in hindsight because of... Like I mentioned, the 0-2 thing for Brody Lee on pay-per-view. For sure. Um, but I did like the little dissension between him and Cole Cabana at the end. And then Evil Uno, who also got like beat down by, by Brody Lee on an episode of Dynamite for losing, kind of like stays with Cabana and is like, it's all right, buddy. Uh, I really like Evil Uno and Stu Grayson. Like I yeah. keep saying, they're, they're really good. Stu they're Grayson good. is like 5'4 on a good day. And he can like power lift people in the air. So that's fantastic. Anyway, I gave it a 3 out of 5. Our seventh match, seven out of nine, babe. as yes, I know. You're excited for it. Yeah. is the AEW World Tag Team Championships. Hangman Adam Page and Kenny Omega, the champions, taking on FTR, our first uh, venture into them in AEW. It is the former revival of the WWE. Um, what were they called there? Scott Dawson and Dash Wilder. They're now known as Dax Hardwood and Cash Wheeler, respectively. So it's like so close that it's hard to remember which one's which for me um so, like
1: like uh when I I always and I don't say it out loud but always in my brain whenever I see like Jake Hager I want to like type like Jack Swagger Jack, yeah it's you like know? it's so
0: close but anyway um FTR of course came over from WWE being super do you know the whole story with the whole FTR thing
1: I don't okay know. so
0: Back when the Revival was in NXT and the Young Bucks were in Japan and Ring of Honor and all these other promotions, there was this ongoing like online feud. And I put feud in quotations because while they both said they were the best tag teams of their respective spots, which is hard to argue because um, the Revival were very good in NXT. And so Dave Meltzer, the online journalist, would say like, oh, I pref- I love this Revival match. Oh, I love this Young Bucks match. And there was like a friendly... But very trepidatious rivalry between the two. So, when Cody joined the Bullet Club, they started this whole hashtag FTR thing, which meant fuck the revival, which was very funny because the Young Bucks don't cuss. So, like, ha- having them be like, yeah, FTR, that was the whole thing. And so, the revival started putting hashtag FTR on all their trunks as like a clapback at it. And then, for online for like four years, this is what we got between the two teams. So now, that they were like we're tired of being treated like garbage in WWE we're gonna go to AEW sorry it's windy outside guys so now they're uh for the for the revival I think is what what FTR stands for I'd have to double check on that one but they ended up winning the uh the tournament that I spoke about earlier that the Young Bucks were in and they are now the number one contendership or the number one contenders they're also known as old school tag team wrestling they're supposed to be like Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, who was their manager of the Four Horsemen, while they do have similarities, they're not as good as Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard of the Four Horsemen, but they are known for that kind of slowed down, quick tags, breaking off the ring halfway and not letting you tag in your opponent sort of thing, which I do like because Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard are one of the best tag teams of all time. Anyway, there's dissension between the Elite as well because the Revival... I'm just going to have to call him that. It's just easier. Come into AEW, share a beer with Hangman. They're like, we're friends, right? And it turns out that they did this so that they could get into his head, say, oh, the Elite don't actually want to be your friends. Make him believe that. And then they turn on him at the last minute as well. So there is major dissension between Omega and Paige early as they isolate Cash Wheeler from his partner. However, this doesn't last long as Paige gets very, very, very boringly cut off from Omega for a long time. He comes back, however, with a great clothesline. Omega gets the tag and catches a flying cash wheeler with a dropkick right to the ribs. Page and Omega then rocks the double team moves on FTR, but frustrations occur between them both as they can only get two counts. Omega almost loses the titles out after getting superplexed and splashed by the challengers. Omega then gets, uh, oh, also this is where Excalibur calls the superplex a top rope superplex, which is just extra steps because a superplex is a top rope suplex. So, beside the point. Omega then gets cut off from Page for many minutes, getting his leg worked over by the heels, I guess. Omega is about to make a hot tag, but accidentally kicks his Dax into Page, knocking him off the apron. Of course, further dissension between the two. Uh, Page then murders Wheeler with a massive moonsault, follow away slam off the top rope. Uh, we get a V-trigger mishap as Kenny Omega accidentally hits Adam Page. Or, yes, Adam Page. I don't know why I was about to say Adam Cole. Uh, They then spike Driver Adam Cole, Adam Cole, Adam Page twice. There's so many damn Adams and so many Pages. So they spike Powell Driver Page twice, and FTR is your new AEW Tag Team Champions. As Adam Page gets up and says, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, Omega is about to hit him with a chair, it looks like, throws it down and just walks out on his partner. The Young Bucks are waiting for him and he's like, let's get in the car and go. They, however, do not. And I think this is the start of Kenny Omega's slow, gradual, he'll turn back into the cleaner. But Olivia, what do you think?
1: Again, this was one of those matches that I was like, oh, I'm pretty jazzed about this. It's always like exciting when there's a title change, which as we know in like this day and era of wrestling like hardly ever happens. So I, again, I was so surprised, I just, like, really, I mean, of course, like you said at the beginning of the show, the crowd was really mild for, like, the whole show, didn't really give a fuck, um, but this one I definitely noticed, I was like, how do you not get jazzed about, like, Adam Page and Kenny Omega, and, like, you know, even, like, the revival, like, why aren't you getting jazzed about this, like, this is fun, and even, like, when there was a title change, like, the crowd wasn't like, woohoo, like, this is exciting and unexpected, so, yeah, again, I just feel like, really conflicted, uh, and I have to say, like, before I give my rating, let me just say this, while I, okay, all right, so, um, Ryla wants to let you know that he's also here by ripping ass while I'm talking, which is great, That's Thanks. my dog, everyone. Old zipper butt over there. <laughs> so, anyways, what was I saying? Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Lost my train of thought uh dog parts are very funny but anyways
0: <laughs> we're live folks
1: <laughs> jr says something at the beginning of the match that was like kitty omega and adam page are like one of the best tag teams on the whole roster and i have to tend to disagree with that because i have this thing where when you just put like really two singles uh competitors together you can't call them like a great tag team because they're not a team they're just two people like put together so I think it's, like, pretty pretty silly and pretty elementary to be like, oh, there's such a good tag team. It's like, eh, not really. Especially since, like, the whole storyline just, like, fell... Not fell through or fell out, but, like, I mean, obviously you see immediate dissension between this quote-unquote team, like, immediately after they lose the title. So it's not like they were really a team to begin well, even, with.
0: Well, even back in, you know, February when they were fighting against the young bucks they still had that dissension between them like their whole tag team was a whole thing of dissension
1: i'm like how is this a team like how could you (laughs) call them a team yeah they're great singularly but like not really together
0: well i don't know they did put on one of the greatest tag team matches i've ever seen in my life
1: so for this i gave it a three out of five because i thought it was a great match but honestly thought it went on a little long i thought this match was a little long
0: okay um while you were talking, I googled what FTR meant in AEW. It stands for Fear the Revolt, which ah,
1: okay. is not as good
0: as Fuck the Revival, by the yeah, way. Or but,
1: For the Revival. Yeah, so
0: what? Well, I guess they can't use Revival, technically. So, But I guess if you put For the Revival, it's not... The, it's
1: not the same. Yeah.
0: Besides the uh, point, I agree with you that uh, 3 out of 5 was all this match got. Um, I am not the biggest fan of FTR. I think they're very good but at the same time it's just like unless they have that right opponent it's
1: just like so one dimensional Yeah, I don't it's know like, how else to describe you it you can't
0: wrestle like Toley Blanchard and Arn Anderson did back in the day you can get close but it's just not the same and i just i don't think they worked meshed well with Kenny Omega and Adam Page perfectly i mean they did at parts i thought they're working over Kenny Omega's leg with super old school wrestling and i like that but other parts where they just like have Adam Page in a headlock for like 2 minutes that's not you're not really working over a body part so I gave it a three out of five um it was pretty cool to see them come in and win the titles right off the bat because this sets up of course for their showdown with the Young Bucks which was right. the match everyone's been hankering for for four or five years so yeah three out of five for this one moving on to our semi-main event Olivia do you want to say what this match is called
1: yes so this is <laughs> a if if I get this right uh, so Triple M. So, Mimosa Mayhem match.
0: Yes, and this is between Le Champion. I guess he's not Le Champion anymore. The demo, the demo God Chris Jericho taking on freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy. And this has been at this point a fourteen week feud, and I'd argue the best feud in AEW of twenty twenty. Wow, that's,
1: that's some just big words. Can you just name one better?
0: So at Fighter Fest 2020, which ended up being a uh, television dynamite program instead of a pay-per-view like it was supposed to, uh, Chris Jericho defeated Orange Cassidy in a match because Cassidy had annoyed Jericho so much that he was like, I'm just going to beat you up. And of course, the former champion is going to go over. The two then had a following matchup, which Orange Cassidy won. And through the following weeks, they had like debates online. Chris Jericho would constantly beat him or the best friends up. And Orange Cassidy would respond by coming through the crowd with the inner circle in the ring and pouring orange juice all over Chris Jericho. Now, Chris Jericho, in response, would start breaking champagne bottles over Orange Cassidy's head, hence the mimosa. Because what happens when you mix orange juice and champagne? You get a mimosa. So the rules of this match, which I think are just a little silly, not because of the mimosa part, but because they have on, on the left and right of the ring two pools of mimosas on like this platform and you can win by throwing your opponent and submerging them in the mimosa that's the good part the bad part is they also say you can win by pinfall or submission why just have them going you know they're going to go into the mimosa right just Just say that that that's
1: the stipulation in order to win
0: yes so this is the rubber match if you will so cassidy immediately runs at jericho and he falls directly into a code breaker uh, both men head to the outside where the pool of mimosa is set up. Jericho throws a massive makeshift table at Orange Cassidy and then smacks him with a chair. Jericho then catches a flying Cassidy again, but instead he power bombs him. Instead of power bombing him into the pool, which you think you would do, he just power bombs him through the other makeshift table on the other side of the ring. Cassidy, who is on wobbly legs, avoids going into the mimosa pool for about the 10th time. I mean, Jericho just keeps hitting him and he's like, I'm about to fall in, but he doesn't. Jericho then locks in the walls of Jericho, and we get what I'm gonna call the mimosa throw. So he's got the walls of Jericho on him, and Orange Cassidy grabs this like cup that was on the table. He grabs it and fills part of it with the mimosa. And then as Jericho drags him back into the ring, he throws the mimosa into Jericho's face, because of course alcohol is gonna blind you. Jericho nearly power bombs Cassidy into the vat again, but Cassidy counters, knocks Jericho into the pool after two Orange punches, and wins the match. So, I am just dying to know what you thought of this one.
1: Uh, I thought that this was both fun and also a really good showing out for um, just the... I don't know like the many sides of orange cassidy because of course it's going to be like sort of silly because you've got like this like really like random stipulation which of course like correlates and relates to the two of them so it's not like it's kind of like they were made Anna for each other though it's amazing, honestly yeah like the ring <laughs> chemistry was perfect in this match and it was like really cool to see orange cassidy like really kind of kicks some ass there you know he like he
0: I don't. I don't know if you noticed, but we didn't get a single hand in the pocket or no, a single uh, of the of the sloth kicks. Like, and he was Orange Cassidy on a mission. Right. Yeah. And, and the in the um, segment like the the hype package, even Trent Barretta and Chucky E. T. Are just like he's actually trying. This yeah. is weird. We've we never, never seen, seen him, him just like pissed this pissed off. Yeah. Uh,
1: and I thought like the ending was just hilarious. Like, of course, like he said, of course, one of them's gonna go, be dunked into the, in the into the mimosa pool for the win. Uh, So I gave this a 3.5 out of 5 because I have to say brunches will never be the same.
0: <laughs> uh, I also gave it a 3.5 out of 5. And I'd say this wasn't a very good match. No. But I would say knowing the storyline that led up to it for the 14 weeks, all of the shenanigans that both men pulled on each other, including their respective factions as well, the best friends and the inner circle, and the fact that just, oh, he's orange, he's freshly squeezed, and he has a little bit of the bubbly... They're just like a marriage of like... That is so perfect. And it was completely accidental that that ended up happening. And good on Jericho for... Yes, he beat Orange Cassidy in their first match. But then he put him over. And then he put him over in something this silly. And that just shows more to the credit of Chris Jericho than Orange Cassidy. Because he knows when there's something special. And I'm going to kind of compare him to John Cena. I don't think Orange Cassidy is ever going to be John Cena. But he saw something in John Cena. And look like when he was not the John Cena we know now... And look at the John Cena we have now. So, exactly. I mean, he sees something in Orange Cassidy. And he puts on a pretty fun match. Stupid, but fun. And 14 weeks of, like, gold television. If you can somehow go and watch, like, all of the the dynamite segments between these two and their respective teams, it is brilliant. So I gave it a 3.5 out of 5 as well. Just mostly for the lead-up. But I did like seeing him get Orange Punch twice and just, like, back flopping into... And he's, like, sitting there, like... Into the, in, in the mimosa, like, oh, I lost, and I'm so pissed. Um, but super fun stuff for this one. For sure. So our main event is the AEW World Championship. Our champion, John Moxley, taking on Maxwell Jacob Friedman, the challenger with Wardlow. And this has a little bit of a backstory to it, as most do. Uh, MJF is under the impression, since he's never lost a match, the only match he's ever lost was a fatal four-way match that he was not pinned in. So he's technically undefeated. Wants a world title match And he goads John Moxley Into signing a contract where Moxley If he uses the paradigm shift in this match Gets disqualified And loses the championship As MJF makes his entrance I got a massive belly laugh out of myself Because someone had a sign That said MJF is an L7 weenie And that is such a fucking good Sandlot burn that I Just I loved every second of that And honestly he kind of is So good stuff here Uh, MJF frustrates Moxley early, uh, refusing to engage his opponent. If he does, he usually backs out of the ring really quickly. Mox then outsmarts MJF, throwing him to the outside into the still barricade. MJF then takes advantage by working over Moxley's left arm, wearing him down with rest holds, and whipping his arm into the turnbuckle. MJF uh, gets busted open as he gets slingshotted into the turnbuckle on the outside. I do believe this was the hard way, um, because he was bleeding pretty heavily. I think he just hit his face too hard on the turnbuckle. Moxley starts to get his ass or sorry, MJF starts to get his ass kicked top off with Moxley biting the man's forehead um where his gash wound is at. Not to the right, not to the left, directly on the top of his head where his gash is at, so that's disgusting. MJF then spits blood in Moxley's face, causing the champ to nearly hit a paradigm shift. He's like, he's got it locked in, he's about to hit it, and the referee's like, don't do it, don't do it, you're gonna you're gonna lose if you do it. Uh we get a heat sink by MJF and is quickly followed up by an air raid siren crash from the champion. MJF then inconveniences the ref, raking that uh it distracts the ref, leading to him raking Moxley's eyes and hitting him with a low blow. Wardlow then distracts the referee. He throws the diamond the dynamite diamond ring into the ring for MJF, who as he picks it up, looks and Moxley is also up. And while the referee is distracted, Moxley hits the paradigm shift, gets the three. And hands MJF his first loss and retains his championship. So Olivia, what do you think?
1: Okay. <laughs> well. I
0: when it starts with an okay, it's just never good.
1: <laughs> is 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 that the is that the theme here?
0: When it, when it's usually like. <sighs> okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well. Okay. I have to say this match again. Pretty basic. Uh, Definitely a good old bloody Moxley-type match. I wasn't, obviously, uh, wasn't super surprised that uh, Moxley retained. Of course he's going to pull out a Randy Ruse to be able <laughs> to use the paradigm shift. Because, um, you know, as the commentary said, that's his silver bullet. Like, how is he going to win without it? Uh, so, this match, again, is pretty basic for me. I don't really have anything other to say other than the fact that i thought the mjf's hashtag mjf 2020 american flag briefs just screamed republican to me he's probably not but like i just (laughs) probably i mean of course i so i guess i sort of understood like why he was like wearing not only like american flag briefs but then also like the lining of his coat was like american flag but like it. this was also two months before the election yeah random but like not so random if that makes sense Anyways, um so I just gave this a three point five out of five. It was it was good. It was what I expected it to be.
0: You always sound so like, oh it was this and then you give it a much higher grade than I thought. (laughs) Whereas I'm like, I like parts of it, so I'm gonna give it a three out of five. Yeah. And your grades are somehow always higher than mine for matches, yet you're so much more down on them than I am, which I think is hilarious sometimes. (laughs)
1: yes but i also i heavily critique matches i tend to give them the the benefit of the doubt but then it's like also like really really hard for me to give matches either like a 4.5 out of five or a five out of five i very very rarely give matches that high of a rating well well, i
0: gave this a three out of five i thought it was an okay match it's uh it's a typical Moxley thing. I did like him not being able to use the Paradigm Shift and then being like, haha, ha, now I'm going to use it.
1: Just kidding. Which reminds
0: me of Stone Cold Steve Austin back in the day, because right. I know he had a match where he couldn't use the stunner, and then he had the opportunity to use the stunner. He's like, Tom's up kid, I'm going to use the stunner. That's my really bad Stone Cold. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought this was very good. MJF played the fantastic heel that he is, while For Moxley sure. played the dastardly yet um, total like brawling badass that he is. So I think it worked out fine both of them, but not a great match. Just a good, solid match. So Olivia, what are your match of the night, performer of the night, and final grade for AEW's All Out 2020?
1: Okay, so my match of the night has to go, obviously, to Thunder Rosa versus Hikaru Shida. I thought that was definitely the strongest match in the card. My ladies represented, they showed out, it was great. Uh, my performer of the night, however, has to go to Darby Allin for being absolutely yeeted uh, in a bag full of pushpins and then over the top rope. And he may or may not bag. have
0: landed on his face. We yeah. don't know.
1: What, who knows <laughs> what angle he landed at. Um, so my final rating for the show is a 3 out of 5. While there were some great moments in the show, and while it is far from the worst wrestling I've ever seen, there was nothing on the show that particularly wowed me. Uh, it was. It is both uh, fortunate and unfortunate that the AEW has set such a high standard of wrestling for me. And since this is a pay-per-view that took place last year and we're obviously discussing it in retrospect, I can happily say that their product has not only greatly improved over the last two years, but I also know that it's gonna get way better as time goes on. So this is this is some good stuff. Yeah. Not cream the crop, but definitely definitely a good show.
0: Right. I agree. Um I gave my match of the night to the same as you, Kiroshita and Thunder Rosa. It's an awesome match. Two awesome wrestlers who put on a great match together. My performer of the night, however, goes to Orange Cassidy because he got to beat the former champion. He got to beat him twice. And he got to knock over one of the greatest wrestlers of all time into some mimosa. And I'm going to let you know this he's the only person that can ever say that. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. Like,
0: in. oh, all these things that have happened to Chris Jericho, but only one man's knocked him into a mimosa. Exactly. So, even though we think it was probably orange dyed water, yeah. but, in, you know.
1: Nonetheless. You know, let your imagination... I would have wrong. filled that
0: thing up with champagne, because then I would have been drunk, and that would have been fun. So, uh, I would have said my performer that <laughs> Though you made fun of it, my attire of the night is going to MJF's Red, White, and Blue MJF 2020 oh trunks, my God. because of course he had those. Of course. And I got a good giggle out of that, because, like, what a fucking dick. If that was on anyone else, it wouldn't have worked, but it only works on him. For sure. And my final grade is also a 3 out of 5. It was a good pay-per-view. It wasn't a great pay-per-view, unfortunately for aew when they set the bar so high when they don't like when even when they're just like a foot below the bar you're like it wasn't as as good as the bar so uh not the tag team the bar who are also very good but or not t-bar oh god you know (laughs) Uh, but i gave it a three out of five it was a solid show nothing amazing except for the women's title match it gets knocked down a lot more because of the matt hardy situation and that kind of you know disturbed me in 2020 there's no reason for that much like the cody Rhodes taking the chair shot in 2019 try not to do any stupid shit like this in 2021 guys just saying so we will not be back next monday um taking
1: a break yeah
0: because next week we have wrestlemania weekend so that means we have a two-part NXT to cover for TakeOver and then a two-night WrestleMania so we figured that's enough wrestling for a week (laughs) we're not going to do another show but we will be back basically in two weeks um, a week and a half with NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver which is just a terrible name and WrestleMania 37 which at that point will be on 39 episodes so again suck it Vince we have more episodes than you do WrestleMania's but Olivia, do you want to take us home?
1: Absolutely. Please go follow us on Instagram at That's Got to Be Wrestling. That is our podcast hub where we post good memes, bad memes, all memes in between. That's also where we post when our episodes do go live or like a day or two afterward because I'm just really bad at it. Other than that, definitely go give us a follow on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. It helps us out. Go follow us on Spotify. Turn on your notifications and all that jazz. Uh, If you want to support our podcast, go buy our laptop stickers on Redbubble. Just search TGBW Podcast. And as always, Tommy, thank you for discussing wrestling with me.
0: Of course. Highlight of my week. And we will be back in a week and a half-ish with NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver.